You are listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Good morning, everyone. This is Shane Hare, and I am the host of the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Where would it lead? What's next? And who knows? But follow me, and let's explore it together. What I can tell you is that we explore the past, the current, and future. And welcome to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. Um, Today we have another great guest. We've been we've been having a pretty good um, tradition of uh, bringing in scholars, uh, educators, um, and individuals who are very successful in their fields and have a very unique um, perspective. Although they might be unique, um, a lot of us uh, all carry the same traits. Today we were want to talk about one of the uh, a, a Supreme Court ruling. Um, that that has occurred over the last uh, month uh, for uh, equal equal rights. Um, to go a little deeper than that uh, on equal rights, we're talking about same-sex marriages. Um, a lot of states within the United States of America has actually banned same-sex marriages. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and talk to a, a scholar, another scholar. I love, I enjoy, I really appreciate um, talking to scholars um, about their perspective because they do a lot of work in that field. They they practice what they preach. They, they teach, they do their research, um, and they have a very um, educated perspective, I could probably say. Um, and, and we're going to go ahead and talk to a professor uh, from the Cal State University East Bay, um, uh, also known as Hayward, uh, for a lot of you who out there that still sticks with the uh, the, the, the college name of uh, Cal State Hayward. But we, uh, us newbies, we call it Cal State East Bay. And we're going to go ahead and talk about her uh, very esteemed uh, background. She is a, uh, a educator, a, a scholar, um, a... A, a, a book writer, a researcher, a entrepreneur, um, a, a, a journalist. So I'm going to really try to stay on my P's and Q's today and, 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 and do the very best I can with, 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 with having an interview with someone who's so esteemed and with so much experience. And I do this, of course, for the experience, for to, to learn myself here. So I'm sure just like all of you who are listening, you will learn as I will learn. And I'm sure we'll go ahead and take away some great uh, moments from this interview. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Mary, Dr. Mary Carderis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. That's good. Thank you again for joining us. I know you could be doing anything else on your Friday morning, but you choose to be here with us on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. So uh, one, one thing I wanted to ask you. Um, how did you end up at Cal State East Bay? Um, I I um, had been working um, in Boston uh, for about 13 years. I was the department chair of a small uh, communications college, and I had I had left my full time work in journalism, although I'm still very much a journalist. Yes. Uh, but I left my full-time work with CNN in London, and I had been teaching in London. Uh, I, actually, I'd been teaching since 1991, 
um, back in Philadelphia when I worked in Philadelphia. And I really loved uh, sharing with students uh, my passion of, of journalism and, and about the importance uh, of journalism. And it really, uh, it really uh, gratified me beyond words to be with young people who would be working in the profession. And so when I, I, when, when I was in Boston, as, uh, when I, I came to Boston, uh, uh, I was recruited uh, from, uh, by this college to come to Boston and begin kind of a full-time academic career in radio, TV, film, journalism, documentary film. Uh, I was the chair of the department there. Um, and then I realized, and I also taught at Northeastern University, a huge private university in, in, in Boston in journalism. And I really realized that I really wanted to stay in academia and do journalism on the side, and so I decided to get a Ph.D., at, at uh, Northeastern. My PhD is in political science. Um, I study political communication. Um, and then I, I just, you know, my children are on, we're going to school on this coast, on the West Coast, mm. and I just realized that my time in Boston was done and I needed to finish my dissertation. So my partner and I moved to California and I finished my dissertation and then my book, um, out here in California and started to look for full-time work in academia. And uh, there was a job list uh, posting at Cal State East Bay, um, had the interview, an extensive couple of days on campus, and, and was lucky enough to get the job. I do want to say something about, uh, Shane, if you don't mind, about the university itself. Yes. Uh, I love Cal State East Bay. Um, it is one of the most diverse campuses, certainly in California, if not one of the most diverse in, in the country. Uh, I, I love uh, the student body uh, for that reason. And I find that at Cal State East Bay, uh, there is a real hunger on the part of students to learn, to want to make something of their lives, um, and to excel at whatever it is they love to do. And so I really I really feel fortunate they landed at the right place. Um, that's a long answer to your question, but that's how I came to Cal State East Bay and happy that I did. And just recently you were you you uh taken on the role of the chair of the communications department as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um I'll assume my duties as chair of communication uh, this fall, um, and I imagine that I was elected, your elected chair. I was elected chair because I had 13 years of experience yes. in Boston. So I'm very, I'm very familiar in the role uh, of chair. I'm, I'm comfortable in the role. Uh, I, I like being chair. I get to meet probably every student in the department, mm -hmm. and I like to help to shape, um, shape things to come. I'm not. Uh, and, and most people at the university, certainly in my department, the students in my department know this about me. I'm not one who, um, and I said this when, when I was a candidate, is if you want some, someone who's going to keep things the, the same, that's not, that's not <laughs> me. I like to grow things. 
I like to build things. Um, I like to improve things. And I have um, really, I guess, a vision for the department and where it's going. So I'm I'm really looking forward uh, to working with my colleagues in, in, in growing the department. For those who are listening who don't know what a chair is, it's not something that you will sit in. Um, what exactly does a chair of a department of a university actually do? Um, they do a lot of things. Um, they are the liaison between the college. We're in the co- a co- a cl- our department, our college is called CLASS, and um, uh, they're sort of the liaison between the dean and the associate dean and the mm. department. Um, it's uh, administrative. Um, and, and basically it's, it's, it's the head of, of among equals. You yes. sort of uh, lead the faculty through meetings. Um, you see students when there are problems that faculty can't handle. You also protect the faculty from, uh, from administrative duties because you want them to be focused on their students, focused on their research, and focused on their professional endeavors. So... Uh, that's another critical role. And you try and shape, you know, vision for the department within the college and within the university. And you want to bring notoriety uh, to the Department of Communication within the university and outside the university to distinguish itself in the CSU and in universities in California and in, in the country. And we intend to do that. Oh yeah, I can tell with your your energy that you bring. I, I can definitely see that possibly five years or even longer down the road here that it will be it, it will look something completely different from what it is today, in a very great way. Um, I, I think. I hope you so, Shane. Bring, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I hope you wish you all the best of luck. So you actually had a regular corporate gig, as we say, with CNN, and then you transitioned over to academia. What what caused that? Was it just something that was like something that was really deep and and passionate with you from going, um, you know, from the, the the I guess the producer roles uh, from being out in the field into the classroom? What actually uh, pulled you in uh, to to schools? I think the that the that the business of journalism, and I use that word deliberately the business of journalism um had really shifted um you you mentioned the word corporate and and the business had become much much more corporate yeah and that's not to me what what journalism is about we have to go back to our roots and that's a whole other discussion but i really felt like i i wasn't comfortable in that environment anymore um, that we were kind of led to do things because of the forces of business and mm. not the forces of news judgment and what was newsworthy and what people needed to know about. And I thought that I could help shape, uh, reshape, or influence um, journalism by educating students to be journalism uh, journalists yes. and, and turning them on to the business and, and business used in a different way now into the craft of journalism because I'm one of those people who believe, like many other journalists, that 
uh, journalism is one of the most important uh, work we can do. Of all the professions in the country, I really believe that. I mean, it's not life and death necessarily, but it's, it's vitally important. And to use a cliche, it's vitally important. I, I would say, so, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're chopping up a little there, a bit there. Dr. Kaderis? Yes. Shane? Okay. Yeah, we just got a little bit of feedback there. Um, so, yes, it's very important that uh, journalism is taken seriously, and it's not really a uh, corporate or a business type of entity, although, you know, there is capitalism that has a whole lot to do with it, but it's really about the kind of information that, that we're we're getting here. Um, what are some of the news sources that you use on a daily basis that, you know, uh, you know, that, that have pretty uh, real or pretty true, um, you know, real life, uh, you know, I, I guess you can probably say, um, uh, which is more true, more of the truth, as opposed to you know a lot of these uh, entities, these uh, journalism entities, actually putting their spin on them. You know, you know like we I'm, hear uh, about Fox. you're asking me this at a at a very unique time. I I uh, yes. uh, I'm producing a documentary right now called This Just In, which mm. is about emerging new news organizations that are different from the corporate the corporate models yes. meaning uh the network the networks um ABC NBC CBS and the big cable giants uh, you know you know CNN uh Fox and others and i'm really learning uh, um that there are uh there is a flowering of these new independent news organizations that are supported not by corporations <clears throat> by by but by grants, uh, but by people, uh, by other means where they're not influenced. So I'm I'm learning a lot now, and you know I I grew up in the whole network system. You know I worked for CBS at one time, so now I'm realizing that they're not the best brokers of truth, uh, independent and independent information. Mm-hmm. So. And I encourage your listeners to really explore other means of information, as as we're now probably all doing on the Internet and on Twitter and social media and everything. But now my attention is turned to these emerging organizations. Um, the New York Times is still an honest broker. Also is the Washington Post. There are some newspapers out there that are doing a good job. But they they're whittling away as well and turning to the Internet. But I would draw your attention to places like ProPublica, Democracy Now!, NPR, um, Vox, um, uh, a new news organization formed by my colleague Anish Rahman called Ozzy, O-Z-Y, based here in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. a new and, and and the organization that we're focusing on in the documentary is called Hashtag Thirty, Hashtag Thirty, which will be online later this summer, um, okay. and that's an organization formulated by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists from all over the country, 
uh, reporting on the important issues of our time without the filter of advertisers and money to influence coverage. So those are, and so that's where my attention is now uh, in those places. Wow, that, that's great. Where where do you find all of this energy to be a uh, magnificent scholar in the classroom, to become a chair of a entire uh, university's um, a department, to you know build these additional networks? Where do you find that the energy? How 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 what keeps you going moving forward like this? Um, you know what? I was lucky enough at a very early age to have a passion for what I do, and that's for writing and for journalism. I mean, I've been a lover of my profession from the time I was in high school, and I, I just, um, I, I'm, I guess I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. I'm excited about teaching always. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty energetic person, as you, you pointed out. As a matter of fact. Yes. Uh, I, I told my students about a year ago that I that I got off coffee, and I, I'm a I'm a tea drinker now, and uh, my students said, you know, Dr. Carderis, you don't need any coffee, and and so, and I don't. I I just um I'm just uh, I'm an eternal optimist. Um, I have an insatiable curiosity about people and the world around me, and so um, you know, I'm able to convey my enthusiasm for what I do to others. And I think my students know, too, in the classroom that I really have a deep and abiding respect for them, and I really uh, enjoy uh, my time with them and, and teaching them, uh, them and, and learning from them as well. And that's a big part of teaching, Shane, yes. uh, is learning from students. It's an exchange. It's a partnership. Um, you know, it's not somebody anymore standing on a grand pedestal talking at them. Uh, it's really an exchange of information and ideas and discussions. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that 100%. As a, as a student, I believe I learned the best in the classroom when it was more of a collaborative uh, type of atmosphere in, in the classroom not only um, having discussions and working out ideas and, and, and challenges with my fellow peers, but then also with the professor as well, um, where, 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 they, where you guys actually help us kind of lead discussions or really uh, respect our points of view and make us actually dig a little deeper into those um, points of view. So I, I, I really Well, that's really where the learning happens, Shane. That's Absolutely. where the best learning happens, right? Yes, yes, as opposed to, uh, you know what, look at the board, follow follow these ideas. There's no way of uh, thinking outside the box here. Um, right. I, 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 I see that happening in the college uh, schools all the way down to I have I have smaller children who are in, now going to the second grade and then also a uh, 15-year-old going into the 10th grade. I see the same going on in their classes as well. And they seem to really be thriving in those type of environments where the uh, the, the teachers and the uh, the assistants they they really helping them think as opposed to telling them how to think. Um, they're right. you know, pulling out those strengths from them. Um, what what is your academic path? path, uh, Dr. Carderis. Uh, you mentioned that you uh, finished up your dissertation um, here on the West Coast. Um, prior to that, 
did did you uh, you know did you go to high school or in the United States or are, are you originally from uh, the United States? Actually, I was uh, I was born in uh, 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 Greece. I was born in Athens, Greece. Shane, I, I uh, actually was born an orphan in Greece. I spent uh, oh. some time in an, an orphanage in a number of foster homes before I came to the United States. Uh, so I'm an immigrant, um, and uh, and I was uh, raised by my adoptive family in Gary, Indiana. My my dad was a, a steel worker, and my mother worked in uh, at Indiana University for many years as a mm. as a secretary in in the department of psychology. So I, I spent uh, I, I, much of my growing up in Gary, Indiana, and then uh, we moved to a suburb uh, uh, called Merrillville in Indiana where I went to high school and graduated high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I spent a little bit of time at Indiana University, uh, but graduated uh, from Valparaiso University in Valparaiso, Indiana, uh, with a degree in journalism. And then um, some years later, uh, went went on to get a master's degree from Northwestern University, which happens to be still one of the best journalism schools in the country. Um, from there, kind of really launched my professional uh, career in journalism from from that master's program. I see. And, and so it wasn't till many years later that I decided to get a PhD at at, uh, at Northeastern. And actually, you know, I, I and I encourage students to do this too to diversify. I had two degrees in journalism. I covered uh, a lot of political news in uh, in my profession, and so wanted to study something completely different uh, for my doctorate. So I went into a, a political science department. Uh, my degree is in in public and international affairs, and I studied political communication. Mm. Um, I guess as a scholar, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm eclectic. You know, I teach political communication. I teach media and government. I teach journalism. Um, my, my book, um, my last book w- w- is called Fear, Power, and Politics, yes. uh, The Recipe for War in Iraq After 9-11. It's a book about political communication and the decisions that were made in the run-up to that war. Um, and now, now I'm, I'm finishing editing a book on documentary film, uh, and I produce documentaries. So I, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm eclectic. I, I enjoy a number of different, you know, a, a number of different things, and I'm getting ready. I, I just proposed another book to a, a to my publisher, which also has to do with uh, the Iraq War, and. Um, and and what it's left in its wake, so that's kind of my my academic path and sort of what I have my my hands into. That's wonderful. What is your process for writing writing books? Because I mean, is there really enough hours in a day? Do you do you sleep, Doctor Kaderis? <laughs> uh, I don't. You know what? I don't. I, I don't sleep as much as I should. Uh, I also, as much as I enjoy writing, it's a it's torture. It's a torturous exercise, at least for me, because it's just you and the page. Um, and you, you know, I, I, you always have a lot of ideas swirling around, uh, but you you have to get you have to get them out on paper. 
and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of uh, rewriting uh, to get something, you know, right and, and, you know, to write beautifully and to write logically and and all of that. I would say that I'm a very – I compartmentalize my time, which is um, the only way I get things done. That is to say that I – I schedule my writing time. I schedule my work time. It's just not kind of a, well, I guess I'll work now. Um, the, the previous day, I will literally plan my day. I'm going to write for these hours. I'm going to read for these hours. As a matter of fact, um, I'm teaching a graduate course coming up this fall, and um, I scheduled time to go over the textbook that I'm using in the class. For me, that's the only way I accomplish what I need to accomplish. So that that's how I I write. And again, for me, writing is uh, it's a painful process, even though it's um, it's also very gratifying in the end. I can tell. I can tell. So, are you one of those who wake up really early in the morning um, and begin your day that way, or do you rest to a certain period of the morning and then wake up and? kind of plan out your day from that or no sir uh, i'm i'm an early riser i'm an early riser and the way you hear me now is the way i get up in the morning (laughs) Uh, i get i'm i don't have any groggy moments i'm up i'm ready to go i'm you know making my tea and i'm i'm uh you know i've got my day planned from the previous day so i know what i'm doing especially when it comes to work um, and students and classes and all of that. I, I that that's how I do it. That's wonderful. And and this is a consistent theme that that's occurring throughout all of my podcasts. I, I, I speak with um, uh, individuals who are very extremely passionate about what they do in life, and a lot of them they have the same uh, qualities that you have. Um, and they plan their days out, you know, pretty similar to yours as well, where they wake up real early in the morning. We actually had a a, a master martial artist, uh, Master Ken Pitts, who talked about one of his senseis back in years ago, actually explained to him that, you know what, in order to get the things that you want in life, sometimes you might have to compromise on sleep. While others are sleeping, it's the time for you to go ahead and get your best work done. Um, so, they can't wait. You guys can't wait to wake up, including myself, wake up in the morning to begin your day, begin planning out those days. You just can't wake up and just kind of fly, go with the wind type of uh, uh, idea. Although for some, yeah, I think no, I, I think that I think that's right. I'm a I'm a goal-oriented person, like probably your other guests are as well. Absolutely. I like I like to feel a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day, and I like to feel like I. I met my goals at the end of the day that, you know, and if you're, if you have a lot going on and if you're busy, um, you have to, or, or you won't, you won't get much done. Um, I remember when I was working, you know, in my PhD program, uh, I had two small kids, uh, mm-hmm. a very energetic golden retriever and my mm-hmm. partner, uh, who's also a journalist, uh, traveled. A lot, um, and so I had to juggle uh, my job, my role as chair, my job as department chair, my PhD studies, 
my two kids, my dog, and, and kind of, uh, you know, be aware of where my partner was in the world and, and you know, kind of coordinate our, our family life. So wow. uh, you have to be organized, I think, to be successful. Um, yep. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that artists work the same way, but I do, and I, you know, I'm also, um, I also carry over my skills as a producer. Um, mm. You have to be organized as a producer. There are people counting on you. You've got to be very organized, and and I am. Yes, yes. You, I, I would say you would have to be um, in order to run that type of very busy life when you have. Just so many things going on, and then, like you said, on top of being a parent, um, as being a professional, you know, there's a lot of needs that the family needs as well. It must that that must be met as well. I'm sure that your young kids, I'm, I'm sure they had homework. I'm sure they had to eat. Um, so you know, it's a it's a whole lot to uh, carry on, especially uh, you being someone who's very energetic and have a whole lot of uh, passion and goals in life. Um, so I commend you on um, being able to, uh, uh, I guess, compete or do this stuff at such a high level uh, and be at the top of your game, basically. Because not just but anyone... You know, you know, there's no magic pill. And I tell students this as well. I mean, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not magic. It's, it's right. time management. And if you manage your time, if you manage your time as a student, whatever, you're going to be successful because you you'll, you have control of what you need to do. And you feel good, too. You don't feel like a mess all the time. Uh, right. I think that's tough, for especially for students, because they have a lot of demands, too. They're working. Many have children. Um, it, you know, it, it's the same challenges that I had. Uh, and that's another reason I think I relate to them so well, is because yeah. I, I was them. I, 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 I you know, I, I experienced what they experienced. So... Anyway, like I say, it's not it's not magic. Uh, you just have to make a commitment to yourself to to do that. Now, as a now, now you mentioned several times through our, our, our conversation here that you have a a, a partner. I and, do. And normally, whenever I hear a partner, that's normally like a key term for you know a a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or a husband or a wife. Um, and in a lot of cases, um, I, I kind of equate that to uh, someone of the same sex. That's right. And in my case, I, and, and you know what? I should have used the word wife. And um, Congratulations. I, I'm, in a, I'm embarrassed to say this, um, but I'm still getting used to using that term, and I'm not, I'm not comfortable with it yet. And I, I probably get a lot of pounding for that, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to using that word. Why um, is that? You know, Shane, I grew up at a time when um, I, I grew up at a time when you, you know I knew I was gay from a very young girl, and in those days there wasn't even a word for it. You didn't know. I mean, I, I can't even explain to you that you didn't know what to call yourself you didn't know what to make of yourself only that you have this these feelings uh and 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 i knew that this is who i was um but for so much of my life and and this is the case for so many others 
mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. who you were um, was not okay. Not okay. Um, I, I can tell you many stories about growing up. I mean, I went to places uh, to be with other gay people that weren't even marked. I mean, they were marked by naked, you know, ma- naked light bulbs hanging in alleyways, doorways and alleyways to go into. I wow. spent a lot of my youth as a closeted person um, uh, with every, every symbol, every piece of advertising, every, you know, influence. Basically, the message was, you are not okay the way you are. You have to be this way. And it has taken me and others a long time to really accept ourselves uh, and to keep up with the rapid pace of change on this subject. And that's why, I, in so many ways, I'm not there yet. I'm stunned by the changes in such a short period of time. Um, so that's why... Uh, uh, it's it, it has taken some getting used to. Wow, and you know there there are just so many uh, questions that I just have with regards to like you said you grew up you know in an area like probably the Midwest where being gay wasn't acceptable, um, but you still had this feeling inside of you. Um, can can I can I probably just say the, the the reason why you're so driven and why you're so accomplished is because you uh, can I say that you probably suppressed you know being who you truly were and probably put that energy into other areas of your life. Would that be fair or? I think I, I think that might I think that's fair, Shane. I also think it's when you grow up with a, a, a certain amount of pain yeah. um, and challenges. And when you are discriminated against and you suffer the effects of discrimination, Mm -hmm. you you have two choices. It's either going to consume you and bury you and make you bitter and angry, or you're going to find value in that uh, to make you stronger and more driven. Yes. Uh, And so I... Luckily, came out on the other on that side of it. Yes, it um, sounds like it. You know, you succeed despite it. You mm-hmm. can't. You know, I never used it as um, a reason not as a reason for failure. I, you know, so that's the way I went, and and I think a lot of people have done that in the world. Um, not only for being gay, for being other discriminated against for other reasons. So. Yeah, I think your statement is fair, but it's also true that I I I I garnered a lot of strength from from my experience. Now, you know, in those earlier days, like you said, over the last I will say probably last five ten years, where uh, this movement of uh, uh, civil rights or equal uh, rights for uh, same-sex uh, individuals has has really taken its um, has has been moving in a very positive direction. Um, when when I heard that the Supreme Court that they went ahead and actually passed a law that uh, same sex sex marriage actually they went ahead and lifted the ban on same sex marriages in all of the states in the United States of America. 
I, I was thinking back, I was like, you know what, that's great for individuals who are in love and they really want to have, they want to be seen as a couple, as a marriage couple, married couple. Uh, I kind of took that ruling as what it was like back in the early 50s and uh, 60s for the civil rights movements or when women were, when, when they were given the right to actually vote. Um, it, it, was a, it was a very uh, monumental time. And even before that, even when I believe there was a Supreme Court ruling um, that said that biracial individuals could actually uh, get married to one another, if you're a Caucasian person or an African-American person, they gave you, it, it was a law that said that you cannot be discriminated against if you wanted to marry someone from the opposite race. So I, I think this, uh, for the, in terms of human rights, this is definitely a plus moving forward for all of humanity um, to identify with, you know, however they identify with, and it's it's okay. But what really stunned me, Dr. Kaderis, is looking through the news feeds, looking through the Facebook sites of some of the, the pushback on these rulings. What is your, yeah, what, what is I your mean, take uh, on that? You know, I think that, you know, depending on where you are in the country, yes, um, you, 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 some of us live in a bubble. You know, some of us live, you know, uh, as gay people, we're much more comfortable uh, in large urban areas. Um, I mean, there's still prejudice. Um, there's still prejudice, even though we have an African-American president of the United yes. States. And there's still prejudice... Um, no matter what happens uh, with gay people in the marriage ruling, um, there's still, and in so many ways, I feel like um, it's it's is in in some ways as bad as it ever was. You hmm. still hear some of this hatred coming from people on social media, yes. and some of you know some of my own friends uh, have said little about the ruling. Um, you know, I I don't know. I I feel safe because of where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that if I went to another part of the country, I wouldn't feel safe. But I want to emphasize that in this case, this is not a religious. This has nothing to do with religion. It has right. nothing to do with anybody's faith or beliefs in in God or whatever they believe. This is um, a, 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 a civic issue. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with religion, and people are trying to marry the two, and in our country we're not supposed to marry the two. According to the Constitution mm-hmm. of the United States, gay people can't be discriminated against, black people can't be discriminated against, women can't be... I mean, right. this is a civic civil rights issue having nothing to do with religion. I don't want to get married in a church. I certainly don't want to get married in a church that wants nothing to do with me anyway. I right. left my own church for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's okay. But in terms of civic, our civic responsibilities to one another, I can have the same rights as everyone else, which includes the right to marry the person I love. Um, so, yeah. 
wow. So you say you don't want to get married in the church. Where would you get married at then? I got married. I got married at, at the Justice of the Peace. Yes. I I was married a year after the rule, a year after Massachusetts, which was the first state in the union yes. to approve, a, you know, a same-sex marriage. So that ruling came down in Massachusetts in 2004. Uh, we got married in 2005 uh, in, at the Justice of the Peace at our town hall. Um, and 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 I don't know. I mean, we may maybe we'll get married again here, <clears throat> here in California since we live here in California. Although it doesn't make any difference anymore. Right. Right. But I, you know, Woody Allen had a. a, a, a had talked about being members of uh, of clubs uh, where they don't want you as a member. That's not the exact quote, but something like that. I don't want to try to be a member of some organization or some church that doesn't want me as a member. Um, I, I mean, that would just be insanity. So I, you know, I was baptized a Greek Orthodox mm. Christian. Um, and in in the context of my church, I was not I was not welcome as a woman, and I certainly uh, was not welcome as a gay woman. So uh, I would not want to push to be married in a Greek Orthodox church or any church that would have a problem with who I am. And you know, and my and, and look, I I have two children too, and I um, you know that was a struggle for us because. Um, you know, the question of religion and the kids, but I also didn't want, we didn't want them raised in an environment where they would see us as being less than and yes. them as less than. Uh, they needed to be healthy about who they were and who, you know, that they had two moms and, and all of that. So it's a complicated situation. So how how did you get around around those uh, those challenges, uh, especially you know raising two two children, you know in their schools or you know when questions about religion came about? Well, again, you know it's where you choose to be, mm-hmm. and we ra- you know we raised the kids in uh, the wonderful town of Brookline, Massachusetts, um, right outside of Boston, uh, Massachusetts. I mean, it's probably the most democratic state in the union, mm. and um, it was uh, welcoming <clears throat> and and made no distinction between my children and other children. Right. Made no right. distinction between me and my wife and and a uh, husband and a wife uh, of yes. any color and creed. We were all kind of treated the same, and so my my kids grew up. Uh, uh, going to school with African American, uh, with Jews, with the uh, every color and creed you can think of, my kids were friends with, and so they never had a notion of of being different in, in any in any way, shape, or form. And they've always been. Um, it's not that they haven't seen prejudice, uh, but they were taught tolerance. Yes, and uh, and certainly in our in our own home being different, uh, you can be sure that they were taught to be uh, kind, loving, and tolerant to others who are not like them. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So with, with with them actually uplifting the ban, if you were married in Massachusetts, if you went to another state, was the marriage not recognized? What what exactly did that actually mean? That's right. This, the marriage was not recognized in any other state but Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're kind of you're stuck, really, in terms of, you know, um, if something happened to us in another state, we traveled a lot with the kids, for example, if if there was an accident in another state and some somebody was hurt uh, and in a hospital um, and there there may have been a life or death decision to, you know, to make, I wouldn't be allowed to make that decision for my kids mm-hmm. or for my or for my my partner, maybe. Um, <clears throat> so there are all those complications the marriage was only recognized in one place in one state in massachusetts i always carried um and i actually uh, adopted my kids when they were 18 that's a a longer story but um i uh all uh, oh, i carried a piece of paper with me at all times uh that my lawyer that our lawyer prepared uh, saying who i was to the kids and we just you know to to offer some proof and that actually that was before the marriage in Massachusetts but mm-hmm. it it could have mm-hmm. gotten very complicated very complicated I can, last I can year imagine. i think was the first year here in california that we we filed a joint tax return together um state and federal so um all those things are going to be equalized across the country for same sex couples everywhere they can file their taxes jointly um, they can adopt either you know their children um, mm-hmm. so yeah this this is these are basic basic issues in 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 someone's life and in their family in the lives of their family yeah yeah i, I can i could imagine I was just thinking as you were talking about if something was to happen to your children and you couldn't you know direct uh or give permission. For whatever happened to continue, um, you know, to move forward, um, I know I would, as a father of my children, be absolutely devastated if there was a decision to be made and my voice couldn't be heard um, on that decision. Or, or even for my wife, I, I know she wouldn't be so uh, thrilled about that. Also, it kind of it seems like it's kind of like you don't have a voice, uh, but now it seems as though uh, you have a voice as being a uh, a gay woman um, who who's married to a another uh, woman, and and I think that's uh, just awesome. What what what? I, I think you... you know, and I also want to say you know I think that you'll find that uh, my family uh, is absolutely no different than anybody else's. Uh, we do we we do the same things as any other family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the same issues as other families. We have the same challenges as other families in raising kids and earning a living and in mm-hmm. making financial decisions. All of that is um, there. There's no different, no difference. Um, so yeah, I would imagine that there. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. We're we're having a very great discussion here again with Dr. Mary Carderas, 
a two-time Emmy winner, a, a scholar, a chair of the communications department at Cal State East Bay. And we're talking about right now same-sex marriages and just what a difference it's, make, it's, it's making uh, on, on a person's life since the, rule, the ban has been lifted. It's now okay in all 50 states in the United States of America uh, for uh, two individuals of, uh, you know, two females, two males, to actually uh, marry one another. Um, and one important point that you made, Dr. Kaderis, is now that you can go ahead and actually claim them on your your taxes. And it's just like any family would operate within their household. Um, but the difference is it's just two two genders of the same type, which I think is absolutely awesome. I, I, I couldn't imagine it being any different in your household than it would be in mine because I'm sure... A lot, a lot of us, we face the uh, same challenges in life. You know, we all have to pay bills. We all have to rear our children to, like you said, be loving, loving caring, respectful individuals um, and, and to understand some of the challenges out here in the world. As a professional, um, now, you know, you say that a lot of your career that you had to probably, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, kind of mask being a gay person. Um, what what challenges have you faced in the past uh, with with uh, identifying as a gay person and how have you overcome them? Actually, you know, a particular situation. Well, you know, I always say. Uh, I've said this on, on several panels I've been on, uh, too. Uh, my being gay is probably the least interesting thing about me. And I, I'm looking forward to the day where it is the least interesting thing about gay people, uh, mm. their sexuality. Um, and, and, I, and I think th- hopefully that is coming. You know, I hope that someday we'll truly be post-gay. Um, but who knows what's going to happen. I, uh, in my professional life, uh, uh, was, was very positive and always wanted people to get to me first before I made any kind of overture about my sexuality. Mm -hmm. It really Mm -hmm. didn't matter. It didn't matter in the workplace. It didn't Mm -hmm. make me a better writer or not. It didn't Mm -hmm. make but I wanted people to know me first, to be comfortable with me first, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. when appropriate or if I was asked a question, I, wouldn't, I would not lie about it, by the way. If I was at, asked straight up, I, I would always give the answer with great trepidation. But... Mm-hmm. I, 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 that was my, my, my mode of operation. Um, I was more discriminated against in the workplace now, in the workplace, as a woman, mm-hmm. not a gay woman, as a woman, and certainly in, in the news business, uh, in terms of pay, uh, opportunity for promotion. Um, back when I was coming through the, through the news business, uh, it was a man's world. Uh, they made the decisions. Uh, they, you know, they made the policies and, uh, you know, uh, managed promotions and 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 salaries. 
that's where you really saw discrimination, but not so much. I don't know of a situation or remember so where because I was an out uh, uh, lesbian that uh, I was discriminated against. But, you know, it kept you know, very quiet about it. And I think that started to change as the culture started to change, you know, over time. People comfortable about being out there became crucial that we were out, that we were getting married, that we were, you know, with our families in public, not afraid to say who we were, because right. that also helped spur the changes that you see today. You yes. had to come out. It was imperative that you came out. And so, you know, it was it was a process. Um so yeah, interest. It was interesting, very, very interesting. You you also mentioned earlier, Doctor Kaderis, about um, you know being in the closet for a, a lot of a lot of those years, especially earlier on. Uh, for some of uh, you know individuals who are are, are gay or, or lesbian, who wants to find their voice. As a as a as a woman or as a man who happens to be gay or identify as being a lesbian, what suggestions would you give them um, to finding their voice for for who who they actually are and being comfortable with their sexuality? You know, I think there's a lot of there's no reason anymore for people to be in the closet and in pain. And I think that's driving a lot of the suicides that you see. Uh, uh, and I think the incidence of suicide is highest among gay teenagers. Wow. Um, but there's no reason for young gay people to be in the closet anymore. And I think if I had to guess, I think uh, gay minority gays in the Hispanic black Muslim, uh, some of the religious, you know, communities, those communities have, I think, might have a much harder time because religion drives a lot of people in those communities. I would advise people to seek out mentors, mm-hmm. seek out mentors that they can confide in. There are some organizations in the Bay Area, in large urban areas, where people can go and talk to people about the com- the, the process of coming out. Okay. My door as a as an educator is always open to 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 everyone, but certainly because I I'm out at, on the univer- at the university, people know they can come to me. Uh and and young gay people have come to me uh just to talk and they have challenges. Um but I don't think with with marriage that some discrimination, prejudice, violence is going to go away. I don't think we should kid ourselves. I think there's going to be a process. I mean, I think with, look look at look at Barack Obama when he was elected president. I think we all thought, hey, you know, it's over. Oh, but right. people aren't going to ha- hold these racist attitudes uh, as much, and that they're going to diminish now very quickly. And look what's happened. Oh, um, I don't think that's. I don't think we're post-race at all, 
And I certainly don't think that the marriage ruling brings about instantly some kind of post-gay world. I think we have to be uh, uh, aware of our enemies, uh, people who would hurt us and drive young people back in the closet to harm themselves. So... Yeah, yeah, and and my my heart really goes out to individuals who, who who's facing any kind of identity identity issues that will cause them to you know really hurt themselves and no longer want to live life. Um, so you know, for those who are facing in these types of uh, struggles within their mind, I, I would highly suggest uh, seeking out a mentor or seeking out a professional organization who can help you because, uh, you know, I'm quite sure it's, it's going on in your mind. And as Dr. Kader has pointed out, um, you know, there are safe places and, and you should be able to feel free and feel strong enough to identify with however you want to identify as. Um, what, 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 so what's next? For the the gay community and same-sex marriage, marriage um, ruling um, that the Supreme Court um, passed, is is that what we really need to uh, overcome now? Is this uh, really trying to uh, get out the message that you know same-sex marriages are okay, that there there's nothing wrong with them? In other parts of the country, who might not be so sensitive uh, to the idea. Well, I mean, I think that, uh, again, I, I think I have to emphasize this is going to be a process. You know, in Texas does not want to grant licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple uh, this week that turned away in Kentucky. They don't want to grant marriage licenses to gay people. Now, they're going to be compelled to do it, but uh, there's, there's going to there's be pushback. Um, I think what's next is just, you know, the process of getting used to uh, same-sex people marrying. I think it's important that uh, we marry, uh, that we're we're out there, that that we're that we're exemplary citizens um, nice. who are calm uh, and reasonable, and try not to inflame passions on the issue. You know, in order to understand uh, somebody else, put yourself in their shoes. Yes. Put yourself in their shoes and try and understand why why they might be that they don't understand why two people of the same sex would marry. Uh, they're taught in churches. They've been taught all their lives that life is, is, is a certain way. So we have to bring people along and patiently bring them along. Um, it, 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 it happened when... when uh, interracial marriage was was made legal was legal uh, you know, it was a process and now you see interracial marriage and and biracial and multiracial children is yeah. normal uh, for, yeah. for society so I think it's going it's going to be a process I think that's what's next is for us to educate each other and to have really uh, meaningful um, non-emotional discussions so we hear each other so that we're yes. not just yelling and talking at each other we're trying to understand why each of us is the way we are and then you know it hopefully will come down to look i don't understand it i don't necessarily agree with it 
but I love you. You're my brother, and I respect the law, and I'm going to yeah. respect you and your family. Yeah, I, I like that concept. My conversation uh, two weeks ago with uh, Maha Jacobs, uh, she talked about Islam, Islam, Islamophobia and, um, you know, how individuals could get past that phobia of individuals who practice Islam. Um, it's just basically, you know, having an open mind um, and asking questions. And that once you actually kind of, uh, you know, kind of go beyond of what you understand from what you pick up from the news, um, you know, the Internet, that you actually will find a, a person just like you, that we are all brothers and sisters, that we are all the same, that we all, you know, uh, face the same challenges. We all have the same emotions. You know, I just identify with being a, a Muslim person or I just identify as being a uh, lesbian or a gay person. Um, that 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 shouldn't prevent us from communicating and getting a better understanding. So it's just a uh, it's just that we should just communicate with one another and bring these questions out and ask questions of one another to get a better understanding. This is you know, a great. I, I don't know if you read the news uh, this week, uh, which I, I found uh, it really heartened me. Um, th- there were a number of black churches that were burned to the ground. Yes. Uh, after uh, the Charleston murders. Um, yes. Maybe even seven or eight black churches burned to the ground in the South. Yes. Um, and the Muslim community has come forward to raise money to rebuild those churches. And uh, I found that to be a wonderful story of people reaching across a great divide to, you know, help people who are now like you, uh, but helping them because there's commonality, that we're the same in so many ways. And so... Hopefully, we'll see more gestures like that happening uh, in the country. Yeah, I definitely hope so also. And I I think as we move forward, I believe that a a lot of the uh, races, a lot of the individuals who identify with different religious groups and, you know, with different identities, um, that we are moving towards a more positive uh, environment. Here we just have to. Uh, I, I would like to just say probably stay away from the TV and really taking everything so literal, literal in the church here, um, and understand that you know people we're manifesting is something big, you know greater in this time and place right now. Right. It's so, a good way to put it. Absolutely. So what's what's next for Doctor Kerderis? It seems like you're doing a whole lot of work. 20, 20, 20, 25, 100 years from now, where do you see the gay movement being? Where do you see journalism uh, being? What's your perspective on the future of uh, of identity and, and, and journalism? I know that's two separate well, questions. Well, in terms of journalism, I, uh, based on my research, uh, we, we've been working on this documentary for two years Mm-hmm. Every and we've interviewed something like 22 people already and counting. Uh, without exception, everybody has said, and I agree, that journalism is undergoing a great renaissance. It is going to reinvent itself, 
And what's going to happen, I think, is that people are going to turn away from these large corporate entities and seek out uh, other forms of journalism in other places. We're starting to reinvent ourselves, and people are going to the Internet. You know, you're not, not going to have network newscasts in the future, probably. Those are old and tired already. Um, the hard copy newspapers are going to be a thing of the past. I think the Internet's going to be even more perfected, and you're going to find some really wonderful sources for news and information on the Internet. Um, and if you want to be, you can be the most informed per- person around, if you really want to be informed. Yes. I think that we need um, truthful information uh, more than ever. What I'd like to see is that, you know, 100% of eligible people, you know, vote in this country, go out and vote. Um, I think that, uh, and I hope that the people, uh, the people emerge stronger to have more control over what's happening uh, in their lives. Um, I think this income inequality is is one of the biggest issues of our time. Yes. Um, so I see I see really good things for journalism, and I can only hope that I see, uh, you know, pe- the country, the people who are different from one another really living in harmony. Um, I, I mean, I can only hope that. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but, but in terms of journalism, I'm hopeful. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited, you know, I'm excited. I'm, and I'm always excited for, for the future. Um, it's up to us though, to, to, to create our own world. Yes. Uh, we can't rely on politicians. Politicians aren't going to take care of us. The government's not going to take care of us. God knows we have learned that. We learned that in an Iraq war. We learned that in Katrina. We learned that over and over again. We have to help ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is becoming as informed as possible and to become uh, participants, uh, not, not just staying within our own homes and our own lives, but getting out there and affecting change in the world, being a part of our community. Um, that's the only way, Shane. That's the only way. Absolutely, absolutely. We are the controllers of our own destiny. Um, this is a this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about your your, your various d- distinguished um, uh, career, um, about your thoughts on same sex sex marriages, about your experience. Um, now, what I like to do is just ask you some, you know you know, everyday people, everyday type questions for you. What's your favorite pastime, Dr. Kaderis? Oh, that's easy. I love the movies. I love the movies and I love to read. Uh, I, I watch, I watch um, a number of documentaries. I'm very much interested in documentary film. Um, and, I, you know, I was raised on the movies. I love the movies, you know. And uh, right now, uh, like like the rest of the country, I'm anticipating the sequel of Harper Lee's uh, new book, Go Set a Watchman. So I'm 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 finishing one book, and I'm uh, uh, about uh, the David uh, David Axelrod uh, wrote. He was the uh, one of uh, 
Senator, uh, President Obama's uh, advisors when he got mm-hmm. elected, mm-hmm. and I'm getting ready to read Go Set a Watchman. It comes out, I think, July 14th. So I, 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 I read. Um, I love the movies. I, I also uh, have a passion for tra- I love to travel, and I love, I love to walk. I love walking and wandering through neighborhoods. What's your favorite uh, part of the world? Oh, God. Um, you know, probably uh, I feel the most comfortable in the Mediterranean area of the world. I feel very comfortable in the Middle East. Um, and I'm looking forward, now that I live on the West Coast, I've seen a lot of Europe and a lot of that part of the world in Middle East, Africa. I'm looking forward to exploring the East, uh, Vietnam, Burma, uh, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, I'm, I'm, I'm China. I, I'm looking forward to going to that part of the world and, and spending some time there. Why? Is it just because of the, the, the his, historical uh, importance of, of uh, the Eastern countries or the continents? No, because it's there. I love, I love, I love immersing myself in other cultures, other cuisines, yeah. learning about other people. Yeah. Um, a matter of fact, uh, I'm, some place that I've been longing to go is Cuba, and I'll be mm-hmm. going there in uh, in October. And my primary mission in going to Cuba is because we're hopefully going to have a study abroad opportunity for the students of Cal State East Bay next summer. Uh, to go to Cuba together. Uh, The communication students will be hopefully producing stories, generating articles about Cuba, and we'll have some students also generating mini documentaries about Cuba. So uh, I'm excited about that as well. Oh, wow. As soon as I graduate, then all of a sudden you guys are doing something (laughs) cool, right? Oh, my goodness gracious. Right, right. I'll get a left foot to go to Cuba with, uh, with, with the class. Is that open to alumni also? You know, I don't know how it's going to – I would love that. I, don't, I, I would love that, but I think, I think, you know, this is a study abroad program where students are getting credit yeah. uh, toward their degrees. So, mm-hmm. unless, you know, yeah, I, doubt, I doubt it, Shane, but I would have to do some, <laughs> uh, I would have to do some uh, uh, research a little on that. And that's really what I'm doing now, research on going there. That's a great opportunity. Boy, that's a great opportunity. Uh, let's see here. What's your favorite snack, Dr. Kaderis? Snack? Yes. Huh. Well, I would have to say uh, French fries. Mm. Uh, but I don't eat those anymore, Shane. I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a health kick right now. I, I want to lose weight, so I'm being very good. That is my weakness. French fries are my weakness, and chocolate is my weakness. Mm. Um, but I do, I, in terms of cuisine, I think my favorite cuisines are uh, Indian food, uh, and I love Asian uh, food, Burmese food, Vietnamese oh, okay. food. Um, I, even though I'm a Greek and we have a great culinary tradition, uh, mm-hmm. those are my favorite foods to eat. What's your favorite technology or application? What's my favorite? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The question was, what is your favorite technology or uh, application software? Oh, geez. Um, I don't have a favorite. I, I guess I learn about them as they become uh, as they become available. For example, I had a crew in um, shooting our documentary in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 
and they're using an application called Periscope, um, which through this application they can broadcast uh, or over the Internet broadcast what they're shooting. So even though I wasn't there on this shoot, I'm able to see everything they shot through Periscope. So today I'm interested in Periscope. Wow. Wow. So you're kind of doing your dailies like at the end of the day to uh, kind of remotely. That's it. It's very wow. cool. I injured my IT band. So I've been, I was gra- I've been grounded. I'll be grounded for another the end of the week. I can, I can start venturing out again. But So I couldn't do this trip, and I was feeling really bad about it. Uh, but I feel like I'm there because I can see everything they're doing. Wow. 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 That That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Kaderis, Thank you again for spending your time with us, um, your wisdom, uh, your energy um, has has made me just uh, very excited about this interview and about, you know, uh, continuing on my my own interest in journalism and in these podcasts. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, for an honor and pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. Not a problem. You're you're more than welcome to come back and uh, discuss your documentaries or any research you're doing. Anything about uh, your anything you want to talk about, you're always more than welcome to join us back here on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. For individuals, Thank you, Shane. Who, you're welcome. For individuals who are interested in contacting you through social media, how can people reach you? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Mary Carderis, one word. M-A-R-Y-C-A-R-D-A-R-A-S. Um, and uh, you, you could certainly get me on Twitter and, 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 and by email, mary.carderas at gmail.com um, or, yeah, or through uh, the school uh, website, of course, and my email address there. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time, Dr. Caderas, and uh, I will be talking to you a little later. Thanks, Shane. Bye-bye now. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You do the same. Thank you, everyone, for listening in to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. And we talked to a very great guest, uh, Dr. Kaderis, today. Um, Wow. Wow. I'm blown away. So uh, you can also reach me at Shane at ShaneHair.net. And you can find us here on Blog Talk Radio, of course. We also have a... A, a group on Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash the Rabbit Hole Podcast, and you can also find us on Podomatic under the Rabbit Hole Podcast. As always, everybody, as always, as always, if you have any comments, if you want to be interviewed on the Rabbit Hole Podcast, uh, if you want to share some suggestions on how we can improve these interviews, if you have particular questions for our guests. If even if you want to reach out to some of our past guests, please contact me. Um, I'm more than interested in hearing from you and talking to you. Um, and if, if you want to be a guest on the Rabbit Hole Podcast, definitely reach out to me and we can make something happen. I'm excited about doing this type of work um, and I will continue it on into the future for as long as I can here. So um, in closing here, we always want you to be curious of life. Always discover your new experiences and envision yourself in the future. 
You have been listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. <laughs>